Hi, you're listening to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks Podcast, produced by the Get Global Network. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. So let's get to it. Have you guys heard the story about the black man over in... Uh, Colorado, I believe, Boulder, Colorado, exactly, um, who was out collecting trash in his own yard (laughs) and uh, was confronted by this police officer who took issue with the fact that this uh, young man who happened to be black was picking up trash in the yard. So this police officer decided to stop Zaid Atkinson. Hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Z-A-Y-D is how he spells his first name. Zaid Atkinson, he was confronted uh, originally by one officer who then got on his radio because, you know, Zaid had a little container that he was holding in his hand to put the trash in. And evidently that made him all the more scarier. So uh, this officer uh, requested backup and then about five other officers showed up and they're all yelling at him to put the trash can down because the officer who requested backup said that there was somebody with a weapon (laughs) who was refusing to put the weapon down, right? Because when you get on the police radio and you put a radio call out for backup, officers are going to respond in a certain kind of way. And when in that transmission, you know, everybody can hear you say that somebody has a weapon, uh, you're going to get a whole lot of folks showing up real quick. And that's what happened. And so this officer knew what he was doing when he got on the radio and did that old dumb stuff and said that the man had a weapon and he was refusing to put it down. And so officers came um, like they do, like any of us would expect someone to respond who was asking for legitimate help, not really knowing what was going on until they got there. And so now you've got four or five officers and they're all surrounding uh, Mr. Atkinson and they're making all these Um, commands to him shouting, you know, put the weapon down, put the weapon down. So he's trying to explain, you know, hey, I I live here because he had already told the officer, the the first officer on scene, I live here. He showed him his ID, but that wasn't good enough because now this officer decided that he wanted to conduct, you know, those those bullshit stops that they call investigative stops. (laughs) So, yeah, so he wanted to conduct one of those. But thankfully, I'm believing One of the responding officers, according to the report, was a sergeant. And so I'm believing that, um, you know, common sense eventually prevailed because of the presence of a supervisor. And that's why I always suggest, um, you know, request a supervisor. Even if the person won't um, have one respond, you have a right to request a sergeant. And hopefully you'll get a sergeant on scene like this one who has some sense. And so because of all of this foolishness, now there is an investigation that's been launched by the Boulder Police Department. And uh, they're looking at that one officer who initially uh, created this unnecessarily escalation of an interaction with Mr. Atkinson. Thankfully, it ended peacefully. Thankfully, Mr. Atkinson survived. But here we go again. You know, black folks, you can't just do what white folks do and expect to go unmolested. He's sitting or was observed sitting in an area that was partially enclosed. It was a patio. And I guess there was a sign that said private property, which again makes you wonder if the doggone sign said private property officer, 
Why are you even messing with this man? Is it because he's black in Boulder, Colorado? I don't know. You tell me. It's 8.30 in the morning. And you want to stop this man and engage him and create a whole situation? <laughs> because you don't believe he has a right to be there? Because it's not plausible that he could actually live there? These are the kinds of interactions that we see time and time again where an officer will create a situation under the guise of, you know, being proactive. You know, some police chiefs, police spokespeople will refer to it as a pretext stop. You know, sometimes people, officers are working special details that they think gives them license to just stop any and everybody willy nilly just because they have the freedom and the flexibility of not being tied to a radio responding to calls for service. So now you see this man at 8.30 in the morning and you want to mess with him. These are the kinds of encounters that end up in deadly uses of force. And generally when that happens, there's only one version, right? We just saw this a few days ago in the case of Corey Jones over in Florida, who was shot and killed by an officer who was working plain clothes not wearing any identifying information, encountered Mr. Jones, who was stopped on the side of the road because his vehicle wasn't working, escalated the situation into a deadly use of force and thought that there was only going to be one side of the story, right? This officer thought over there in Florida that there was only going to be one version, the one that he was trying to tell. But thank God, Corey Jones had called roadside assistance and the encounter was recorded and memorialized by the roadside assistance dispatcher. And so we didn't have a situation where there was only one version, much like here in Los Angeles back in 2014, when LAPD gang officers were conducting a air quote investigative stop. And they thought that Ezel Ford had done something again in air quotes suspicious. And they just wanted to have a conversation with him, wanted to talk to him and Ezel Ford being mentally ill didn't want to talk to him and really had a right to not want to talk to him. And guess what? That investigative stop escalated into a deadly use of force. And so Ezel Ford was ultimately shot and killed by LAPD gang officers and they got away with it. The police shooting was condoned by then police chief Charlie Beck, even though our independent civilian review board, the police commission found the shooting to be problematic. Charlie Beck loved it. And uh, nothing happened to those officers. And so these are the kinds of stops, you know, that, that most police officers understand they can generate and nothing will happen. Nothing would happen because they'll have their version of the story as to why it even started. That's the problem that I have so many times because I say bad tactics or manufactured probable cause, manufactured reasonable suspicion led to the initial confrontation. And if the probable cause or the reasonable suspicion or the investigative stop was all created and manufactured, in my mind, everything that happens after that stop is problematic for the police department. And that's why you have so many police departments in so many cities who are willing to uh, settle civil suits by families because they recognize, like I'm telling you, that pretext stop, that reasonable suspicion, probable cause, pretext investigative stop, whatever term the police want to use should never have happened. And so while this young man, you know, had a right to be there, he lived there, he showed proof of that. 
by showing his identification that still was not good enough. Still was not good enough. And so now there's a big investigation, allegedly, and um, we'll see what happens, um, how this thing is concluded, you know, if we hear about it at all. Because, again, you know, they'll have much to say in the first few weeks, maybe even a month after it happens. And then, you know, the community forgets. They move on. Um, This young man won't forget. Mr. Atkinson won't forget. He'll probably be forever scarred by this encounter. And so... Whatever the police chief decides to do in terms of adjudication of this administrative internal investigation, you know, we may or may not know because personnel records and how matters are handled are confidential. And so you don't always get to know what happens. Police chief has great autonomy. It could be anything from a training session um, to a written reprimand. Or in my case, I hope this officer gets terminated. You know, there was a supervisor on scene, and so surely he will have a role, he or she will have a role and a part to play in the internal investigation. And I hope that they don't minimize and mitigate it because this young man wasn't killed and and therefore, um, you know, give this officer a slap on the hand. Because I believe if that happens, then he will live to offend again. So they have over there in uh, Boulder, Colorado, a uh, professional standards review panel. It consists of six community members, and uh, they will be the ones that will take a look at this incident, and then they will make a recommendation, and I underline recommendation to the police chief, because much like our police commission made a recommendation in the fatal shooting of Ezell Ford, then police chief Charlie Beck said, thank you for that recommendation, but I'm going to do what the heck. I want to do, which in this case is nothing. So that's the problem that I have with these independent civilian review boards. So for those of you who don't have one yet and you want one, when you set one up, make sure that they have some teeth in terms of uh, what it is that they ultimately adjudicate. Something more than just making a recommendation of findings to the police chief, something that, that would be binding, have some kind of weight in terms of how the police chief finally disciplines an officer when they violate policy. Police Chief Greg Testa finds this concerning, and so I do too. And I hope you find it concerning. And I hope that you will join the community out there in Boulder, Colorado, and contact Police Chief Greg Testa. His telephone number is area code 303-441-3310. That's 303 area code 441-3310. For those of you who may feel so inclined, you can certainly uh, contact Police Chief Greg Testa via his email, which is Testa, T-E-S-T-A-G, at bouldercolorado.gov. And because we understand and recognize that every police chief serves at the pleasure of a mayor, let's make sure that we include Mayor Suzanne Jones over there in Boulder, Colorado, because I think she needs to know that this situation occurred and ensure her involvement so that this thing is handled appropriately and not just swept under the rug because this young man didn't die. We want to make sure that there's not another Zayed Atkinson somewhere in Boulder waiting to happen who may not be so lucky because there may not be a supervisor able to respond. So Mayor Susan Jones, 
Her telephone number is area code 720-633-7388. That's Mayor Susan Jones in Boulder, Colorado, area code 720-633-7388. And Mayor Susan Jones' email is joness at bouldercolorado.gov, G-O-V. They also have a social media presence on Facebook. Uh, City of Boulder, Colorado Government is their Facebook page. So plenty of ways for um, community to get engaged and involved. Does no good to hear these stories and get mad and riled up and say that, you know, this stuff needs to quit if... You're not going to get engaged and involved. And so let's help uh, this young man out and let's make sure that Police Chief Greg Testa over there in Boulder, Colorado, understands that we're paying attention, even though we're not there in Boulder, Colorado. But my next story is kind of a cautionary tale. Be careful what you ask for, right? You know, going public as a police officer (laughs) about institutionalized racism that we all know exists it's not easy to do that, and then and, and it's not for the faint of heart. And, you know, when you do that, like I do, you know, I understood when I started speaking out in 2013 about all of the things that had occurred that led me to speak out, which was Christopher Dorner here in L.A., who had been treated poorly by the LAPD and went on a shooting spree and killed a bunch of people. Now, I didn't speak out because I'm in support of Christopher Dorner. I didn't agree with what he did, be clear. But I understood how LAPD, like any other job, can get you in a way in a headspace where you might do something that is out of character. And so I just wanted other police officers who may have felt like Christopher Dorner, whether you're on the LAPD or some other police department, you don't get to just go on a killing spree. There's a process and protocols and there's a grievance process if you feel you've been dealt with in a way that's inappropriate. And so that's why I first started speaking out in 2013. And then who knew the very next summer in July of 2014 is when Eric Garner, Mike Brown, Ezell Ford, Tamir Rice, and everything else, John Crawford, that happened in 2014 with regards to deadly police force and the unnecessary use of it, in my opinion, that caused me to... uh, to speak more about it. And these are things that I reference in my autobiography, Black and Blue, the creation of a social advocate. So for those of you who don't know that and want to know more about my career and what it is that I encourage others to do to survive that police encounter, you can get my autobiography at my website, www.sgtsherldorsey.com. Or you can purchase it through Amazon.com. Again, Black and Blue, the creation of a social advocate. But on to police officers who speak out. (laughs) Over in Warrensville Heights, Ohio, this is a suburb in Cleveland, uh, there was a female police officer who had a video that went viral back in 2016. And she has since been fired. Um, Her name is Nakaya Jones. Now, I met Nakaya about a year or two ago, she and I both appeared on the set of the uh, T.D. Jake show when he was um, filming here in Los Angeles. He had a episode, a segment, if you will, dealing with um, black and blue and issues that 
we both are very passionate about. Nakaya was on the panel with me. She and I had an opportunity to meet, exchange numbers, and we've stayed in touch. And so I know that Nakaya was having some backlash as a result of that viral video, and she ultimately lost her job. So here's what happened. A federal judge tossed out a lawsuit that uh, Nakaya Jones filed after this uh, 2016 viral video where she was, you know, kind of ranting about racist police officers. And she was motivated because of the Alton Sterling shooting that occurred in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Remember, Alton Sterling was a 37-year-old guy who was selling CDs in front of a convenience store. And a couple of officers approached him. It got ugly. And Alton Sterling was ultimately shot and killed. So Nakaya felt motivated, felt compelled to speak out on that. And so she had this this video that's out there and you can pull it up on um, Google, YouTube and, and hear it, see it. After all of that, she started getting a lot of backlash and um, threatening messages according to what she says in her lawsuit and believed that the reason for her termination last year was as a result of her speaking out. Well, hold up. Not so quick. According to the 22-page opinion that was written by the judge in this case, where uh, Nakaya is suing the mayor, Brad Sellers, and the uh, police chief, whose name is Wesley Haynes, the judge said, no, Nakia, you weren't fired because of that seven-minute video rant. (laughs) You were fired for misusing your sick time. So here's how the story goes. After the viral video, Nakaya was involved in a traffic accident, and that was on May 28, 2017. The video went viral in 2016, right? So the following year, May 28, 2017, Nakaya was involved in a um, traffic accident on duty, and she was granted medical leave due to the injuries that she sustained in this traffic accident, and she was going to be off from May to November. Well, officials became suspicious, right? Because she didn't just stop speaking when she went viral on Facebook. She continued to speak because, remember, she and I appeared together on TD Jakes and she went on to speak in other places. You know they weren't liking that, right? So they became suspicious and they alleged that she was engaging in public speaking. She was traveling and she was attending weddings All the while, she was off receiving workers' compensation for that on-duty traffic accident that she had earlier, right? So you know what they did. They conducted their own um, little investigation, and they decided that in September, she was well enough to come back to work. And so they disputed her request to be off on this uh, work comp medical leave. She didn't come back to work. According to the lawsuit on October 16th, they issued her a warning, right, for attending these public speaking engagements while she was off on sick leave. And they said it was a violation of the city's policy. They put paper on her because this is what police departments do. They understand paper. That's why when I talk about my comply and complain during my speaking engagements, I say create a paper trail. Because police understand stuff in writing. 
So they put paper on her. She still didn't come back to work. Now, she says that her termination was motivated because of the continuous engagement in constitutionally protected speech. That was a quote from her uh, lawsuit, as well as that uh, there was gender-based disparate treatment in the workplace. That's what she claimed her termination was all about. So, you know, evidently she sparked their uh, competitive spirit over there on the police department. And so they um, went about proving that wrong. Now, I'm not inferring that she wasn't retaliated against. I don't doubt that for a minute because I get it. I understand. I've been uh, subjected to it myself. But what I'm saying is, is if you're going to be outspoken and if you're going to step out like that, you got to make sure you bring your A game each and every time. And so the way it was reported is that um, Nakia was scheduled to return to work on October the 9th, 2017, but she called in sick. She called in sick that day and she called in sick the next day complaining of a headache. Okay. So you know what happened next, right? (laughs) You know, internal affairs put together a surveillance team, right? You know it. I know it. And Nakia should have understood that that was a possibility. So on her next scheduled work day, which was October the 13th, she called in sick again and for three more days complaining of, again, this headache and a flare up. Evidently, she has lupus. Now, I'm not putting her medical history out there um, just because I want to. I'm just reporting what was in a news article. Okay, so she's got this headache and she's got a flare up of, of lupus. So then what happened was after that <laughs> is that the surveillance team did what they do and they they followed her and they saw her board a plane to Philadelphia where she is alleged to have spoken at a conference. And so then that was that. A couple of days later, on October 20th of 2017, Nakia Jones was fired from the um, Warrensville, I believe it's called, Warrensville Heights Police Department. She was fired for deceptive use of her sick leave. So... If you're going to speak out, there's a price to pay. You need to make sure that you're crossing your T's and you're dotting your I's and you're doing everything above board because they will come after you. Note to others, they will come after you. Now, I previously reported on this story and, you know, when I did it um, in the beginning, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention at first because I just thought that this, you know, poor woman, I'm talking about Jacqueline Smith now, who was stabbed uh, in the midst of helping a panhandler is how the story first came out. Now we know that her husband and his daughter uh, were responsible for her death. And as I started to learn more about that story, I, I began to think, understanding that it was reported her husband had some financial issues years before, had been robbing banks. I think he robbed like three banks. He went to prison for 12 years. And so family didn't know if Jacqueline Smith knew about his past criminality when she married him. But nonetheless, he had a, a situation where um, he did stupid stuff for money. And so I thought, you know what? I bet you. This murder of Jacqueline Smith was motivated by money. And so now it's been reported, in fact, that Keith Smith, uh, the husband of Jacqueline Smith, was the beneficiary on 
a life insurance policy valued at about $500,000. And so that would explain why he may have been motivated to kill her. Now, I don't know if he was, you know, in some kind of financial duress again. It was reported years ago that he was HIV and he needed money for medical situations. I don't know if that's still an ongoing problem or if there was some other debt that he was looking to resolve. And that's why he wanted this woman's $500,000 life insurance policy. But that's the reason. Well, I'm sorry, that's not the reason, but they are saying that he was the beneficiary on a life insurance policy. And so um, very sad, very tragic. And to the uh, family of Jacqueline Smith, my condolences and may she rest in eternal peace. On to um, Jesse Smollett back in the news. Many of you know he was charged several weeks ago with one count of felony disorderly conduct for that whole contrived hoax, if you will, um, that he has been accused of creating, saying that he was the victim of some kind of a racist and homophobic attack. So now, just on last Friday, he was indicted on 16 felony counts of disorderly conduct and and false report. And so, you know, I don't know where, you know, each count comes from. Maybe each count is a an instance when he reiterated that lie, that false report, and each lie is a count of disorderly conduct. But nonetheless, he's been um, indicted now and he will be arraigned on Thursday of this week on 16 felony counts. So it's not over. But let me say this, because I do believe at the end of the day, I do believe, you know, he's got a um, great legal team supporting him. And I do believe at the end of the day, he'll probably not do any time, probably won't even go to court. This will probably resolve itself behind the scenes. There'll be some negotiations. He will cop a plea to something that will keep him out of jail, probably put him on probation for a number of years and going to have to um, probably pay some restitution. And I absolutely believe that the police department is going to be want to be reimbursed for the resources that they expended during the time that they did trying to track down these alleged white men or white pe- or men in MAGA hats. I, I, I think he said they were white, but nonetheless... Um, I think he's going to have to pay that money back. So I think at the end of the day, um, he will be fine. Now, in terms of his professional career, well, that's a whole nother horse uh, of a different color. And I don't know what's going to happen with that. And, you know, this is not unusual to Jesse Smollett because I certainly know this to be true when I was working on LAPD. And, you know, I know officers used to do this stupid stuff back in the day, you know, um, before they really started paying attention to police officers using the database to access information because, you know, they're nosy and they want to know, or, you know, police officers are at a crime scene that's going to be pretty um, infamous and take pictures or not even a big deal. It may not even involve a celebrity. It just might be something that was very unique and different. And I know that I certainly took pictures of things that I was involved in when I was a police officer working downtown L.A., um, working Skid Row and the B-Wagon, which was the big giant 
paddy wagon that we used to use to go pick up drunks um, back when you could arrest somebody for being drunk in public, right? You can't arrest people for, for being drunk in public anymore. It's it's no longer considered a crime. But I mean, as a young officer, I saw a lot of things um, in, in my career early on that caused me to want to take pictures and, you know, just have it for myself and, you know, share it with friends because those were things that I had never seen before. So to that end, there's some folks that are in trouble <laughs> because they're taking pictures of stuff or because they're getting records, they're accessing information because they're putting information out. And listen, it's a federal offense to do that for folks who don't know, uh, young police officers. If you don't understand, you can't be just using database information because you just want to know. You don't get to do that. And for hospital workers, you don't get to pull up records, medical records of people because you're curious. So there are now reportedly dozens of hospital workers over at the Northwestern Hospital who have been fired for improperly reviewing Jesse Smollett's medical records. I don't know what would make anybody do that and not understand that when you log on to these different database queries, you're using some kind of a password, some kind of identifying number. Uh, there's a record. You're leaving traces that you were there. And so, you know, just like the police department, why would you access somebody's information like that when you know that it's so easy to be traced? But they did. And so uh, for that, now they are looking for work. And over on the Chicago Police Department, it's, it's reported over there that the uh, chief of detectives has also opened an investigation out of concerns of uh, folks leaking information relative to their case. And so, um, again, you know, when you're given certain um, access, when you have the ability to know things, it's expected that you will be professional as you come across these kinds of information and be mindful and really just be respectful of folks. Again, back to, you know, being a young police officer and coming on scene when someone was shot, maybe not someone who was famous, but just, you know, how many people have seen somebody get shot and have their intestines in their hand as you're talking to them? That doesn't happen to everybody. You don't get to see that. And so, you know, I, I didn't take a picture of that particularly, but I, that's just an example of a thing that has stuck with me all these years. That was very early in my career. I think it might have been really one of the first radio calls that I went to as a probationary rookie officer. Uh, young man, young man, not much older than me at the time, had been shot and was sitting on the side of the curb holding his intestines in his hand as we were trying to figure out who shot him. So, you know, I, I, I get that, you know, police officers memorialize things that are seen, but you just need to be in this age of technology, you need to be very mindful of, you know, what you do and, and how you share that information. Police, hospital workers, be careful, be smart. Another busy week for the Pied Piper. Um, he's back in the news. You know, last week um, he had been interviewed by Gail King on CBS and that was a big deal. Everybody was you know, watching um, those interviews with him, the young ladies that are allegedly thought to be brainwashed and in his care and custody. And then shortly after that interview, he was uh, arrested on March 6th because of 
failure to pay child support and remained in jail again for a couple of days. And so now he's out. Um, someone came and paid that $161,000 that he was owed in back child support. And so now R. Kelly is back out again. But um, hold up. <laughs> There's more because now there there are new allegations against R. Kelly. And this time, uh, these allegations are coming from Detroit. Uh, the detectives over in Detroit are investigating new allegations that a um, 13-year-old girl back in 2001, she was 13 in 2001, I believe she's 30 years old now, but in 2001 that R. Kelly sexually assaulted this little girl in a hotel in Detroit. And um, the way it's reported is that she had several um, or multiple sexual encounters with R. Kelly uh, over a four-year period. And during that time, these encounters occurred not only in Detroit, at a hotel, but also at his home in Atlanta. And somehow it's alleged that R. Kelly infected this young lady with herpes. So um, the police chief over there in Detroit has reported that this young woman no longer lives in Michigan, but is going to be flown in for an interview. So there'll certainly be more to be learned about that situation. And so now it's time for Did You Know? There was a very contentious debate over in Arkansas last week, and I don't know if you guys saw it, but there's a video that has gone viral, and it involves uh, Arkansas Senator Stephanie Flowers, who stood her ground in the midst of a debate regarding stand your ground legislation that was trying to be passed over there in Arkansas. Now, you know, stand your ground is a big deal because that was the defense that was used in Florida in the murder of Trayvon Martin and currently is uh, being put forth as rationale in the shooting death um, by another civilian citizen in the death of Marquise McLaughlin. So stand your ground. You know, it's been it's been used at least once successfully and they're trying it again in the case in the fatal shooting of Marquise McLaughlin. Now, Marquise McLaughlin, you may not remember, but he was a young man that was in a convenience store with his family. There was a white guy who approached his wife because she thought he thought she didn't, that car should not have been in a handicapped stall. And Marquise came out, saw this guy confronting his, his uh, female friend and told him, you know, get back and pushed him out of the immediate proximity of his his wife girlfriend I'm not sure what she was but they had a child together child was with him and this uh, guy wound up shooting and killing Marquise McLaughlin uh, based on you know stand your ground he had a right so Senator Stephanie Flowers was having none of that in Arkansas and there's a a video that um, shows her very impassioned debate over the Senate bill which is numbered 484 in Arkansas and you know um, they were trying to limit the amount of time for the debate and she just wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. And so in the midst of the debate, the committee chairman over the judiciary committee tried to, you know, tell her to pipe down, simmer down, Missy. <laughs> and she responded back, you know, very sharply. I'm not, you know, I'm not shutting up. And what are you going to do? Shoot me? <laughs> she uh, talked very passionately um, about her concerns as a mother of um, a black man, you know, the same kind of concerns that I have. The thing that causes me to speak out the way that I do, because I too have four sons. And so I, I get it. I understand. And so Stephanie Flowers 
stood her ground and was successful because ultimately the bill was defeated. Senate Bill 484 in Arkansas looking to limit the duty to retreat was defeated. And so black girls rock, Stephanie. (laughs) Way to go. That's it for this week. Until next time, be good. Be safe. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. You have been listening to the Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast. Produced by the Get Global Network. Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey is a television commentator, social justice advocate, and is also well known for her book, Black and Blue, Creation of a Social Advocate, an autobiography of her 20-year career as a black woman on the Los Angeles Police Department. The book details what she learned as an LAPD insider. Sergeant Dorsey can be contacted through her website, sgtdorseyspeaks.com, or via any of her social media sites like YouTube and Facebook. Take the time to subscribe to her YouTube channel and also subscribe to this podcast via major podcast networks like iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and many others. The podcast is also available on wireless speaker systems like Alexa and Sonos. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.